guys. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. How's it going, man? Oh, it's yeah. good. It's good to hear from you. It's good to hear from you, Mike. You haven't, uh, haven't sure. talked to you in a while. Alex, good to see you as well. Yeah, you too, man. Great. Well, let's let's just get right into it. Uh, I've been wanting to talk some Mariners for a while. I obviously, you know, you guys know I'm a baseball guy and uh, haven't really gotten much of a chance because there hasn't been a whole lot that's been going down. Uh, it's been a slow off season as it kind of just always tends to be in baseball. It's so funny to contrast baseball with like the NBA who had like a month and a half off season and like a whole ton of shit happened. <laughs> even though it was only, it was so quick. Like their, their free agency is over the, like by the time it starts, it's pretty much already over. It's insane when you compare it to baseballs where very little happens, but uh, the Mariners still have gotten, gotten some interesting stuff done. Uh, they, Jerry DePoto was very kind of intentional in his first, first, uh, press conference right after the season ended that said we're going to address the bullpen that's our the biggest thing that we want to do and i think for the most part that has been almost their singular focus they really haven't done yeah. anything else besides that uh the first move that i want to talk about is i think far and away the most compelling move that they have made up to this point uh which was the signing of chris flexen to a two-year 4.75 million dollar deal if you are out there and you have not heard of Chris Flexen, I do not blame you. And you're wondering why the Mariners signed him to a two-year deal, particularly if you then went on fan graphs or baseball reference and looked at his stats. If you did not see his stats in the KBO, you would be particularly stunned that he got signed to a major league contract. He had been with the Mets for a couple of seasons, thrown 68 big league innings with an 8.07 ERA and more walks than strikeouts. Uh, obviously that's not necessarily a recipe for success, but then he went over into the KBO, had a couple of really great seasons over there with the Doosan Bears, uh, 132 strikeouts and 116 innings last year with them. Now he's back. Uh, I just, well, I'll start with you, Mikey. I'm just curious. I know you wrote an article for Lookout Landing just about him and kind of what the Mariners might be looking to get out of him at this point. And I'm curious just what your initial thoughts are on the signing. Yeah, so I loved it. Um, I mean, two years, less than $5 million. I think it's a steal. He's 26 years old. Um, I mean, yeah, he was uh, really a train wreck with the Mets. And I mean, we had Walter Lockett last year. And like mm -hmm. in terms of their stats, they're not dissimilar. Right. Um, but I think that in terms of just the pitcher that he is, I think he's um, a pretty compelling pitcher, like you were saying. Um I think the Mariners are, are going to look to kind of make some tweaks with him. Um, one of the interesting things that I noted in my article is that um, when he went over to the KBO, he didn't change that much. I think the biggest thing that changed was uh, he went from having mediocre fastball velocity here to um, throwing the second hardest in the KBO uh, <laughs> in 2020. So um, I think, I think the naysayers will say that, you know, he doesn't really have much to offer and he's the same pitcher that he was. Um, but I think he did tweak a little bit in terms of, uh, of his location. Um, I think there are some changes that he can make in terms of, um, optimizing his pitch mix because he throws his fastball. I, I, again, I think people would say it's not good because he doesn't throw it very hard. Um, but he spins it really well. And so it has really good fastball ride, which means, you know, it gives more than the average fastball. It gives the appearance of rise to hitters. Um, and so hopefully he's not throwing that 50 to 60% of the time, like he's done historically. Um, but he's got a better fastball 
than most. And he's got a really good curveball. Um, it's kind of a softer one. I, I usually don't like the 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 loopier curveballs because they're generally used as get me over pitches to steal strikes. But um, you know, I, I think they say that the the kind of talent level uh, in the KBO is something like double or, or triple A. Um, so you know, you could say that, but he was arguably the second best pitcher ever in terms of the season that he had um, right behind uh, Hyunjin Ryu. Um, and so, you know, he threw up basically the same um, peripheral numbers that Ryu did in, in um, 2012. And that's not to say that they're the same pitcher, but uh, it's, it's, it's pretty compelling. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So not to totally blow up everything that Mikey just said, um, but I feel like this is a really good time to plug a magical um, online application called the KBO Wizard that uh, if you guys aren't um, PitcherList fans, um, uh, Nick definitely snagged one of the premier uh, free agents of the uh, baseball writing world and Ben Howell, who maintains the app. Um, and one of the things about the KBO wizard that uh, I've been checking out is uh, checking out like the different um, locations of pitches. It's really interesting to see that Flexen basically seems like he was just painting the sides of the plate. So yeah, you're talking about maybe not like optimal pitch location. Um, yeah, I got 60% fastballs. He's sitting about 93 as a righty, which is an ideal. The weird thing though, that um, curveball he's throwing, he's not throwing it as like a loopy in the zone, get me over pitch. Like you're no. saying, it's all below the zone, stealing a ton of swinging strikes. But if you look at his, at his overall like build, he's getting a lot of his success from called strikes. He's taking it at like about a 30, 31% CSW rate. That's like called strikes plus whiffs. Um, and he's getting way, way more called strikes than you just expect, especially from his slider. Uh, so I'm not really sure exactly what it would look like to like rebuild Chris Flexen as a pitcher who pitches in the modern MLB instead of being a guy who pitched for the Mets for a long time. Um, (laughs) And he definitely needs some work in those regards. I definitely am going to be a naysayer when it comes to Chris Flexen, but I think that someone could prove me wrong in a really entertaining and fun way. And that's the sort of thing that I want to see the Mariners doing is picking up these reclamation projects from teams that, don't know what to do with a modern MLB pitcher and turning them into those sorts of things. And that's what intrigues me about him. Yeah, I think uh, you guys both make great points, obviously. Uh, I, I, For me, I think the the thing that was so interesting is just like, I mean, his you, you said it, Mikey, his numbers were really, really similar to what Ryu did in the KBO at like the same age. Now, obviously, uh, Ryu has translated that very very well to the major leagues. He's been one of the most kind of underrated and unheralded pitchers of the last five, four, five, six seasons in the MLB. Uh, It's hard to imagine that that success necessarily translates right away for a guy who, you know, throws 92 and a half miles an hour and did not have any level of success uh, in the major leagues previous to that. But uh, you kind of mentioned the, the strikes below the zone with that curveball, And that's a pitch that I, it worked really well for him in the KBO, but at least for me, it's hard to imagine that translating over to success in the major leagues, just because that isn't 
I mean, I don't know if this research has been done. Obviously, I know there's tons of research about like the velocity differences between the KBO and the MLB and how, you know, like you said, Mikey, a pitcher who, you know, has below average velocity here was the second hardest thrower in the KBO last year. But like how much that like hitters being forced to adjust to 93, which they don't see, you know, ever to, to how that could impact their ability to handle a, a breaking ball below the zone that major league hitters, I think, are just going to watch go by a, a lot easier. I don't know if that research has been out there. If you guys have any thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, Chase, what's up? So like the way I look at this is I think a lot about in terms of um, how Cleveland and also to a lesser extent, yeah. like Minnesota are mm-hmm. getting things done with guys who throw a lot of the same stuff. He does something slow, something faster off speed. His slider hits 88. Mm-hmm. So I think the key there is going to be, you know, throwing that fastball a whole lot less and throwing it upstairs a whole lot more. You know, there's so many teams that are figuring this out that like, if your fastball isn't that hard, you need to be using it not as the primary pitch you're throwing, but in terms of keeping the hitters guessing something to throw with like an OO count, whenever you can get a strike and the guy's less likely to swing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the Chris Flexen that we see this year will be a great indication of what the Mariners are planning on doing with pitchers in the future, how like up to date their philosophy is. And, you know, if he fails, it probably won't be entirely on their shoulders. But if he mm-hmm. does succeed, they'd be a really good sign for, like, the development of some of their guys in the minors going forward. So I think he's interesting, not just as, like, an individual experiment, but, like, as, like, a barometer for the rest of what we'll see from them. I And I think it would be really disappointing if they didn't get the most out of him. Because, Mm-mm. like Mm-mm. I was saying, like, his fastball, you don't, like, you don't need... Like Velo is good, but you don't necessarily need Velo to mm-hmm. have uh, a solid fastball. He has, you know, the the kind of s- stuff now. He has that fastball and he has a curveball. Um, I would call his slider and changeup both pretty fringy pitches, even though they're called strikes plus whiffs. We're above average in the KBO. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Right. CSW oh, yeah, is already sure. <laughs> not super sticky. Um, but I think that he is the perfect candidate for some pitch design um, kind of things. And what we haven't talked about yet is um, teams everywhere need innings. And Mm -hmm. he was one of the only pitchers in the world (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. this past year that went as many innings as he did. I think 130, 150, somewhere in there. Yeah, something like that. Um, So that matters a lot, especially with how young our rotation is. Well, that that leads right into the next point that I was going to make, which is right now roster resource has him in the rotation. Uh, I think there's a lot of indication that he's going to get a chance to start out in the rotation. Some of what you guys have said certainly point to a pitcher who might have some more success as a bullpen guy, especially since we, you know, we haven't really seen that change up Uh, again. It had good numbers in the KBO, but hasn't had good numbers uh, stateside. And the slider is, is a nice hard pitch, but you know, it, it hasn't flashed as a plus pitch yet either. So I'm curious, yeah. like, uh, I think he'll probably get a shot. You're right. Uh, as of right now, you know, Justin Dunn, who we'll certainly talk about later, and LeJay Newsom are, are kind of battling out for those last rotation spots, flex in, in that conversation as well. Do you guys think, A, that he will be a starter to start the season, and B, if that's the correct decision, or if he's a guy who should maybe end up in the bullpen long term? Obviously, it depends how he does, but thoughts on that. I think he'll definitely start in the rotation. I think he definitely should start in the rotation. Um, and even if he doesn't work in the rotation, which 
I'm not sure that like I, I kind of wonder how bad he would have to be for them to just completely pull him. Like I think he'll at least be kind of a st- spot starter, mm-hmm. uh, kind of swing man. Um, but if he doesn't work there, I think that it can still work in the bullpen because he can throw harder with his fastball, and his fastball is already a pretty good pitch. He won't have to go, you know, two or three times around the order. Um, so yeah. Um, I sort of think that like the question of whether or not he starts in the bullpen is less interesting or pardon me, whether he starts in the rotation is less interesting than the question about whether he stays there. I think mm-hmm. pretty right. much every MLB team is going to have a six man rotation next year. That's what roster resource lists, lists him at. as, as the the six. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm sure we'll <laughs> see someone go like seven if we're not <laughs> careful. Um, but um, yeah, if he's the sixth guy Dunn definitely has a spot. The question for me is like, does he stick there? And, you know, like, are the Mariners interested in winning baseball games or winning contract games in the first, like, month or so of the season? Because he's mm-hmm. definitely going to be in the rotation if they're trying to win some contract games. They got a lot of young arms that maybe might be worth playing around with the rules mm-hmm. in order to get some more uh, team control, which, mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to see that. But it's the reality we kind of live in. And sure. he's definitely the sort of person that I feel like, you know, kind of just plug play and uh, reevaluate come May. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you, you got to figure that Logan Gilbert's going to get major league innings in 2021. I don't know that that's happening in, in May necessarily. The last minor league season of 2020 certainly makes it a li- little bit more interesting to determine where those guys are at. Obviously Gilbert was at the alternate side. He threw a ton of innings. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also have George Kirby and Emerson Hancock who Hancock has not played a professional game. So I don't think, we see him in 2021, although he was an advanced college arm. Uh, Kirby, probably not either, but, you know, I, anything's possible. He yeah. could be a September guy. Uh, but Gilbert in particular is a guy that I think spends a good chunk of the season in the major leagues. And if that's the case, and then Flexen or Newsom or Dunn are guys who could potentially lose that spot in the rotation. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Obviously there could be other movement too. the Mariners off season is not done. They could go out and sign other starting pitching options. They could move some of the options that they currently have if they wanted to go that route. Uh, but it'll be really interesting to see, see what ends up happening with Flexen uh, to start the season. And like you said, Chase to, to end the season where, where he's at at that point. Right. All right. Next guy that the Mariners acquired um, another reliever or, or another pitcher, more certainly a reliever uh, in Rafael yeah. Montero. A uh, 30-year-old guy uh, came over from the Texas Rangers. The Mariners traded Jose Corniel and a player to be named later to get Montero's services. Uh, hasn't really been very good for his career. Uh, 4.93 ERA is obviously not great, but he was really good the last two seasons in Texas. Uh, he had a 2.48 ERA in 2019. Uh, not quite as good last year, 4.08, and obviously very small sample size, I don't think. Most of you need to know that any reliever in 2020 had a small sample size. Yeah. Only 60 games. Uh, but his FIP and other peripheral numbers were, were much better than that. I'm curious just what you guys kind of think about this move in general. Uh, Corniel was a Corniel, excuse me, was a prospect that I think some people were kind of high on or at least liked him uh, a little bit more than the average consensus and felt that this was a bit of a lot to give up. But the Mariners bullpen clearly needs some reinforcements and if you kind of buy into what Montero's done the last few years in Texas then maybe this is a guy who could really help them out yeah I thought it was I thought it was interesting because um, I think the reception to it was almost a little negative which is strange Mm -hmm. to me like it's not like the Rangers have you know that strong of a team but he was set to be their closer and he's Uh set to be our closer 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's a lot of hubbub about uh, you know, getting um trading, what was his name? Corniel. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we just signed him in 2018 or 2019. So right. we basically like he's a kid, he's like 18 years old. Um, I think anytime you have a guy that's that young and you trade him for a major leaguer, I mean unless it's Noel V. Marte or Julio Rodriguez. I'm not, right. I'm not really sweating it. Um, he did seem really interesting, but I, I think at the end of the day, like just getting, um, just getting playing, like playing time from players now just pays for it. Essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm all about trading prospects and, um, and, and, and getting, you know, innings or at bats uh, in the next year or two. So, um, yeah, and I, I actually like him. I, I do wonder if the Mariners are looking to make some tweaks with him. Um, he had a near 23% K minus walk percentage and uh, an 80 FIP minus, which means he was 20% better than, um, than league average, uh, in the past two years, um, has a really strong fastball changeup combo and a pretty decent slider. Um, kind of wonder if he'll fade that sinker because, uh, he uses it more than he should. Um. So yeah, right now he's he's projected for almost one uh, F war, which would be the highest of the Mariners bullpen. <laughs> yeah. I really like him for like a couple different strategic reasons. Um, I just want the Mariners to try to win some baseball games. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like yep. if they're trying to acquire bullpen pieces who are more likely to keep the game close and put their talented young kids into stressful high leverage situations at the end of games. That's just going to be good for the development. Mm -hmm. Uh, Montero in particular is a really strange guy. Um, Last year had some like wild sample fluctuations within it. Mm -hmm. He had a 49% left on base rate, more than half of the people that he allowed on base scored. But at the same time, he also had a sub 10% home run per fly ball rate. So he was getting really unlucky in one direction and really lucky in another. I think it about balanced it out. Uh, His 4.08 ERA, I think, was probably a touch high. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if you kind of estimate him as like um, a mid-high threes ERA guy, I think that's probably about right. And I don't think that's like far from what the quality I would want for like a developing about to take the steps um, Mariners team to be like acquiring to be their closer next year, his last year of team control. I think he could be like a seventh, eighth inning guy. If someone else comes up and can steal that job, who's a little bit better than him. I mean, he's 30 years old. It's two years. I do understand the hesitancy to give up prospect pieces, but I think like in the long run, the chances that the Mariners lose because of this trade is pretty low. And I mean, the alternative is like, you have to go out there on the market and probably sign someone who's going to make maybe a little more or about what he'd make, um, maybe even for a longer contract. I think, you know, the whole thing about like flipping someone who's for a player who's into those arbitration years is like, it's pretty close to just, why don't you just go sign some guy on the market who's pretty comparable? If the pitching market wasn't like, really really i mean how do i want to say this it's the side of the market that's like harder to find the guy you want I mean, there's a million players out there you know I, I would say that like the the people who want to hang on to that prospect who i know absolutely nothing about to be clear here um yeah they could be on the right side of things but broadly speaking this is the sort of move that i would want to see them starting to make where they're starting to like figure out when their window is going to be there's a there's a couple other things too um one the closer isn't 
like that situation isn't always the highest leverage situation. So it frees up other pitchers who I think are pretty good, like Kendall Graveman, who I've tabbed as like kind of a, a breakout guy. Um, it frees them up to to use them more as like um, firemen. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember my other point, <laughs> but um, I just really wanted to get Kendall Graveman's Graveman's name I out there. So. I mean, twenty two minutes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just oh. What I was going to say is um, I think one critique that we could say is that if you want a reliever, and, and we've talked about this um, uh, ad nauseum at, at Lookout Landing, if you wanted to get a reliever, why didn't you just pay, I don't know, six, seven, eight million dollars for one that's better than him? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think the they are being cheap, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But hopefully they're going to be using that money to sign other players that you know, that are at more key positions. Um, but also like Corniel is 17 or 18 years old and, you know, there's a player to be named later. So it's not a steep price by any means. Yeah. You should really evaluate this as they flipped a prospect to save a couple million dollars on a reliever on the open market. That's what happened here. Yep. That's basically exactly it. And I think Montero too, the, the nice thing with the flexibility they have here is that, He's not like if if they signed a guy to a one year six million dollar contract, I think they'd be pretty compelled to try to trade them at the deadline, obviously, because then you can get something back instead of just losing them to free agency. But with Montero, if he has a great half a year, uh, which is entirely possible, and we're talking about a guy who had like a, a ridiculous strikeout to walk ratio in 2019 with the Rangers, which was definitely a little fluky. Uh, I mean, his his 2019 was so strange. I'm looking at it now. He had yeah. a a 2.48 ERA despite a 18 and a half home run to fly ball rate, uh, 96 left on base rate. Uh, just a really weird year. 29 innings is not enough of a sample to, to know anything really. Yeah. Um, but if he has a, like a half season like that and you can flip him and sell other teams on, hey, you're going to get him for this year and next year, you could actually get, I mean, probably a prospect as interesting as the one that they gave up. Um, so that's probably part of the factor here too, but then also if he struggles or if they decide that they want to keep him and keep going for it, they have him for an extra year as well. So he's a guy that they could keep around. He's 30. So it's not like he's, you know, super young, but he's not ancient either. You know, he could conceivably (laughs) be good for the next couple of years. His birthday was less than a month after mine. So I don't want to say the word old. That's just not, I just looked at his birthday. I'm like, oh my God, that is like almost exactly my birthday. That is weird. (laughs) I mean, like. The Mariners have like three starters who are almost 30 at this point. So mm-hmm. you kind of got to acknowledge that this isn't a situation that he's going to be like unique in. Mm-hmm. They've got some yeah. sneaky old young guys in that uh, rotation. Yeah. All right. Next guy was the other signing that the Mariners made in the bullpen. Shocker. That's what they've been focusing on. Uh, Keenan Middleton. Uh, I really like this move uh, initially because I just was a Keenan Middleton guy. I liked him a lot when he was very briefly the closer for the Angels. Um, But this is the kind of guy that I seem to always like and also totally the kind of guy that the Mariners like who throw hard and don't know where it's going at all. Uh, his command is really awful. He's had tremendous injury issues. Uh, obviously, you, it's hard to criticize a one-year $800,000 contract. Uh, that's really just a flyer on a guy who's had some level of success in the major leagues. He basically didn't pitch at all in 2018 and 2019 because of injuries. And then obviously 2020, he, he did throw. He was on the bump, but obviously that was such a short season. So Virtually three years of not really pitching a lot yeah. of innings. So it's kind of hard to expect 
a lot from him in 2020 or really anything at all. I think the expectations should be extremely low, but if the Mariners are able to coax some command out of him, um, this could be a really, really fun signing. He's got some really good stuff. Uh, I think uh, he's, I think he'd, he'll be in that conversation for a late inning role. I think Montero's obviously ahead of him. I think some of the returning guys are ahead of him as well, but this is a guy that I'm, I'm pretty intrigued by. I'm curious what you guys think. Yeah. So I, I wrote him up at, at lookout landing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the downside, I mean, really the downside is he doesn't pitch, but in terms of, you know, his actual pitchability, um, I think that he currently projects as a middle relief guy. If he, um, you know, if he is as is, as he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like there are several things that the Mariners could do with him. One, I think they could do the Austin Adams, Taylor Williams thing where, um, you know, he starts throwing his slider more. Um, they throw their sliders more than their fastballs. Um, and I, I would say he easily has the best fastball of the three, but he doesn't have the slider that they do. Um, and so we've talked about how, um, we think the Mariners are going to tweak a slider because he throws it really hard. He throws it about 88 and he, which is around 10 miles per hour less than his, um, fastball, but it's really hard with not a lot of bite or drop. And so he doesn't get hardly any chases with it. Um, generally I like to see like a 40% chase percentage, maybe a little bit less, but he is below 30%, I believe. Um, and so it's basically in terms of like it's peripherals, it's a lot like a cutter. Like he throws it in the zone a lot and he does get whiffs, but he doesn't really have a pitch that he can throw out of the zone and, you know, get swings and misses. So he's, he banks on getting swings and misses in the zone and also getting a lot of called strikes. Like you said, he's had some command issues, but I, I don't think that's necessarily a trait of his. I think it has more to do with he's been so injured and, and really like yeah. his slider uh, shape has changed so much. Um, I think he's finally pitched enough where he can go into 2021 with a little bit of momentum. I think the Mariners are going to take his slider and hopefully give it a little more drop, um, take a little bit off of it more kind of more depth. Um, and so if he does these things, if he, if he bumps up his, his slider usage, especially when he's ahead, because, um, if you look at Taylor, if you look at Austin Adams, he basically just throws his slider, uh, and then we'll throw his fastball. Sometimes if you look at Taylor Williams, he mostly throws his slider, especially when he's ahead. The big difference between these three is that, um, Middleton doesn't throw his slider that much when he's ahead, which is really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only do I think his fastball can play up if he, if he changes his usage, but I think it'll play up too. Um, if he kind of tweaks his, his slider shape. So there's a lot of growth to be had here. And I, I think that, he can be actually a closer caliber reliever. Um, I think the air bars are, are pretty wide on him, but mm-hmm. um, I'm really, really excited. He's. I thought we were going to get Blake Trinan, and I'm. I'm not opposed to it now because of what we d- if we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought like he was going to be the Middleton signing. So yeah, I should say that. Um, I really think that trying to like get a read on like the strategy and like um pitch design of a guy who's pitched 40 innings in the last three years is pretty difficult so i really want to credit mikey there for like doing the work to say here's what he could do to improve when i don't know how much keenan middleton knows exactly like what he's doing to get everything sorted out i think he's just focusing on health i want him to pitch (laughs) for sure um i should say the one thing i 
really do like about the sort of strategy that Mikey's talking about is that the smart teams in the MLB are starting to play with that, you know, screw the fastball. We have it, but it's really just there to mess with you approach. Uh, the Minnesota Twins, who I think have one of the most forward thinking and effective, you know, like pitching strategies of any team out there, definitely have a couple different relievers who are going like secondaries 60 plus percent of the time. And I would really like to see someone in this staff have that as like their primary like way of going, just to, like have a different look. And right. if that's Middleton, that'd be really cool. Um, we talked earlier about like the closer isn't the highest leverage guy. You know, if you're paying a guy $800,000 and he mm-hmm. goes from pitching in the sixth to pitching in the eighth throughout the year, cause he gets everything figured out. That's a really, really, really good thing because then the guy you might be paying a little bit more in Montero can just kind of sit in the ninth, do his yeah. thing as effectively as he can. Right. You know, that's the fun thing about the modern MLB is like, unfortunately the way arbitration works is that people want to be the closer still, even if it's totally meaningless and saves are just nonsense. Mm-hmm. It also means that if you like can turn um, dirt into diamonds, mm-hmm. um, those guys, you know, can end up in the highest leverage roles and the most important roles without there being really much of a fuss about it. So I'm interested to see what happens with him. I would love to see those sorts of changes. I mean, we definitely have a really cool picture of what his 2017 was like. If he can get mostly back to that, I'm just, I'd be pretty happy. Whatever. Yeah, good. You hit right on the head of what I was about to say is, you know, th- 40 innings or so over the last three years. I think you're right that most of it has just been him like trying to stay healthy and not necessarily focusing on, on, on anything more than that. But we do have this 2017 season where he threw 58 innings. He was fully healthy for the year. Uh, obviously, by the time he pitches again, that will have been four years ago. So you yeah. have to take that a little bit with a grain of salt. But we're talking about a guy who, I mean, he had a seven and a half percent walk rate. That's not that bad. Like, you know, I was talking about his command issues and yeah, he's, his command has been terrible in the 40 innings he's thrown since then. But, you know, I don't know that that means all that much necessarily. And and yeah. for it to have been pretty good in the one healthy season that he had. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's some, some definitely, if he's even like 80, 85% of that pitcher, I think that's pretty good. You know, I think that you'll take our average arm bullpen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and plus he's only 27. Yes, exactly. He's young. He, you know, he's had some major league success. The Mariners bullpen that they were going into the season with prior to signing these guys or acquiring these guys isn't better than what Keenan Middleton's going to bring. Like he's going to be one of the better guys uh, as long as he stays healthy and pitches close to that level. So you, it's hard to hard to not like a move like that. Right. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about more Mariner moves that happened over the last week. Uh, the last couple of ones were more minor moves. We're also going to talk about some articles that these wonderful guys have written uh, about baseball in general and about the Seattle Mariners uh, after this quick break. All right, uh, so moving on. So obviously the Mariners, those are a couple, three of their major league acquisitions that they've made. They've made a handful of minor league acquisitions as well. We're going to talk about that here in a second. Uh, the first one was Sam Travis, who was a former top prospect. I was kind of surprised, not surprised to see him available because he hasn't been very good in the major leagues, but uh, the move got like an extremely small amount of fanfare. And I think that 
like 27 year old dudes who were top prospects and haven't like, like if he played like 500 big league games and was hitting 230 like he has been, then sure, like, okay, it's probably, he's probably nothing. But he's only played 111 major league games. So it's not like, you know, I mean, it's not like he's had this huge opportunity and continually failed. Having said that, he has not been good. He has a 288 on base percentage, uh, seven home runs, three steals. Uh, he's a right handed first base outfield option, which they're never super appealing. Um, but he kind of strikes me as like, you know, this is similar ish to the Jose Marmalejos move that the Mariners made yeah. last year. Uh, and that I think panned out pretty well. They ended up needing Marmalejos a little bit more than they expected because Evan White had his struggles and Dan Vogelbach was truly, truly terrible for the Mariners. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty interested in this signing. I don't think he's going to be like a post hype sleeper breakout guy. You know, I don't think he's, he's going to be, uh, you know, even close to what he was many thought he would be when he was drafted in the second round back in 2014, but it can't hurt. Right. Yeah, it can't. Um, I think <laughs> there's, there's always, you know, this kind of appeal with, um, with the he's constantly doing, um, you know, making these types of signings, these types of trades, whatever, where uh, for guys with pedigree, first rounders, former second rounders, um, when they fail, like there was a reason why they were, you know, really good prospects. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still really young. I think, you know, he, he actually hits the ball in terms of like hard hit percentage. He, he's above league average. And like you said, the, the sample isn't that big, but it's not insignificant. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I think the really the big issue is he hits a ball on the ground a lot. Um, I think it's about ten percent above league average, which is really, really, really significant. It's probably if you if you took the sample down to you know how low his is, um, it would be probably the lowest in the MLB. So if the Mariners think there's a tweak here, um, you know, I think they should definitely go ahead and take this opportunity. Um, I definitely trust their ability to take a pitcher and make him better than he was than uh, hitters because I think their their pitching uh, player development system is is more renowned as of right now. Um, but I don't think their hitting uh, development is lacking. So I think it's worth a shot. I, I think um, I'd like to see someone you know take Marmalejos's spot because he's not super great, right? <laughs> so yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about Travis is how quickly like your really quick fan graphs read on a guy's player career can change as soon as you just look back at that ground ball rate. You know, mm-hmm. one of the interesting things is you see his like BABIP from 2019. I'm going to make sure I get the number correct here because mm-hmm. we're live. Yeah, 243 <laughs> BABIP with the Red Sox in 2019. Um, and that's not good. You imagine nope. like his... Um, his bad would improve maybe just with some random fluctuation. It's never really been below 300 throughout its career. Um, ground balls tend to lead to good bad actually. But at the same time, like, you know, if you, if you're right-handed, I mean, you just shift some guys over and I'm, that's the direction the MLB is going. I think for righties shifts are less bad actually, I will say, but if he's like mm-hmm. grounding out consistently, you're more likely to do those shift things. Yep. The thing about Travis that's more interesting to me, though, is like, how do you end up at 27 years old with like a, a near 60% ground ball rate? How mm-hmm. did the Red Sox not fix that? That's always yeah. the sort of thing that I want to yeah. know. Um, and I also sort of, and this is a whole other tangent I'm going to try to avoid. Like, I really think that guys with really terrible ground ball rates or just generally bad launch angle like distribution seem to be like 
a bit of a blind spot for some scouting grades mm-hmm. because they can lead to good um, batting averages. Right. And you can still have a ton of power, but then like that game power never actually develops. So you're like, he's just going to continue to smack the hell out of like all of the earthworms standing between himself and the pitcher. Yeah. And if you, you, know, if you want to shout out Vlad, you can just shout out Vlad. We all know who you're talking about. That. It's not a secret. <laughs> I refer to this as uh, Yandy Diaz syndrome. Yes. I was going to mention him too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like Vlad definitely has Yandy Diaz syndrome. Mm-hmm. Alec Bohm, I hope he doesn't have Yandy Diaz Ooh, yeah. syndrome. I don't mm-hmm. think he does. He definitely has flashed uh, better distributions in the minors. I know this isn't a Phillies podcast, but like if you're looking at guys who are built like this, they come through mm-hmm. regularly. They don't fix themselves that often. Yeah, it is interesting. And those guys don't seem to have a lot of speed, too, which, like, (laughs) if you're going to be a guy who hits the crap out of the ball on the ground, you really need to be able to get down the line fast, because otherwise your BABIP's going to be real low because you're not, you know, you hit a you hit a 97 mile an hour ground ball to a third baseman. Unless you're Ichiro, you're probably not going to be safe most of the yeah. time. So uh, hopefully the Mariners have maybe identified something here that they think they can turn him around. But at the end of the day, he's just competition for a, a bench spot. Uh, the Mariners did DFA Tim Lopes. Uh, they DFA'd Phil Irvin as well. Uh, both potential outfield options, although Lopes... Well, actually, Lopes was playing some infield, but I think he kind of became more or less just an outfielder uh, last year as well. So so Travis could potentially fill into those spots. Uh, yeah, someone, someone to keep an eye on, at least in spring training. Yeah. Next up was Robert Duggar. He's a familiar name to Mariners fans, at least diehard Mariner fans. He was traded to the Marlins in the D. Strange Gordon deal, also maybe known as the Pablo Lopez. Actually, no, was Pablo Lopez in a different trade? I think he was in the um, David Phelps trade. Yeah, always been a mixed up. Yeah. 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 Either way, the Mariners traded uh, Pablo Lopez to (laughs) the Marlins, and that is a terribly sad thing that happened that we just have to come to terms with. Destroyed us. That's been real brutal. Anyway, Duggar, former Mariner, traded to the Mariners or traded to the Marlins in the D. Strange Gordon deal. Uh, thrown forty-five innings in the last two seasons, uh, eleven total games. Eight of them were starts. Uh, his numbers are slightly better than Chris Flexen's uh, in the major leagues, which isn't saying a whole lot. Uh, Seven forty ERA, just twenty-nine strikeouts in forty-five innings. Uh, he's not missing bats at all. Like just, just at all, at all, uh, 20 walks, which is part of the reason he's not missing bats is because guys aren't swinging because he's not throwing strikes. Um, I, yeah, there's a lot of negative stuff there, but I think a guy who, you know, obviously the Mariners are familiar with him, which can't hurt. Uh, maybe they've seen some of the things that they uh, have identified that are not working for him and think they know ways to fix them. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a minor league signing. It could just be triple A depth. Uh, he has a minor league option remaining. And the guy that I think, pretty much lost his spot was Ian Hamilton uh, and Hamilton did not have a minor league option. So it could just be as simple as adding triple a depth to the roster here. Uh, but I'm curious what you guys kind of think about, about bringing him back. Yeah, I think that's kind of it. Um, his fastball has been pretty all right. Um, you know, historically, but I think he can play um, again. Um, I guess this could be like a tracking thing, but he's added ride to it. Um, and I think he could stand to get a lot more whiffs if he elevates it. Um, I think what they're, what they might be after here is he has a plus slider that he commands really well. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of the same thing, just throw that a ton and throw your others less. He's, he's got league average or better commands. So, um, there's, there's something here. Uh, and I think the Mariners are 
you know, have something in mind. I, at the end of the day, yeah, it could just be kind of um, minor league depth or fodder. Familiar depth, never bad yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm fully going to defer here to Mikey because I can't say that I'm <laughs> extremely um, familiar with uh, Duggar. I will say, just yet another really fun 2020 samples are going to be forever weird guy. You know, his mm. 12.66 ERA did come with a 7.99 XFIP, which is, you know, but yeah, he's another guy that's kind of like more than 50% of the guys who got on base against him scored. Um, that's bad. He had more <laughs> home runs allowed per nine than he had strikeouts per nine. That's bad. <laughs> and when you allow that many home runs, people are going to score. That's what's going to happen. Um, it's just, that's the math. I don't really <laughs> think I have to explain that a whole lot. So, you know, I I think though that like trying to find guys who can fill innings in AAA that aren't your top prospects is a good idea because mm-hmm. everybody's going to need to be worked up. You don't want to kill guys down in AAA. You don't want to kill guys on your major league squad either. But like, you know, like these sort of like we just have to make sure the organization continues to run moves. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some other team like really fumbles that. I really hope mm-hmm. it's not theirs. But uh, you know, good to see that they're thinking about it now and not in, in March. If you add up Duggar's strikeout percentage and his walk percentage, you get 12 and a half, which means that basically people were putting the ball in play almost every time they came to the plate. And they also hit 396. So that is not a recipe for success at all when 88% of the time they're putting the ball in play and then 40% of the time they're getting a hit out of Sometimes you just need innings. (laughs) I, I mean, mean we're talking about it. You get people out, so you have to get people out to get right. innings. <laughs> this is this is a this is a fair point. Yeah, we're talking about a ten inning sample. I think it's worth for anybody yeah, who's yeah. panicking out there listening. This is this is not really relevant, but uh, <laughs> it is uh, it is interesting that uh, they're go- they're going for somebody familiar. I think that that probably isn't nothing. Um, I don't. I, it, did Depoto? Well, I don't think Depoto would have acquired him in the first place because he was a twenty sixteen. Round pick was Depoto around? Yeah, yeah, he would have he would have drafted him. Okay, so he did draft him. So that's probably something. There's at least something there that he's interested in. But like him then, likes him now. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it might just be that simple. You know. Yeah. All right, and next guy up, another reliever. Shocker. Um, Will Vest is who the Mariners selected in the Rule Five draft. Uh, friend of the show and pitcher list writer manager Will or Trevor Huth. Uh, <laughs> oh, I didn't know um, Will Vest was contributing with us now. That's why the Mariners picked him up. Yeah, they wanted the insider information. Uh, Trevor Huth loved this pick. He did a live stream during the Rule Five draft. He's uh, somebody who follows the Tiger system really closely and is really plugged into all of the minor leagues. So somebody that is well worth paying attention to, even if his Twitter account is mostly just self-deprecating humor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Huth. Huth liked this pick a lot for the Mariners. He's a guy that admittedly as somebody who does follow the Tiger system pretty closely, I didn't know all that much about. Uh, so I had to kind of check in on him a little bit. Um, but I mean, the baseline here, the, if you know one thing about this guy, and we're going to get into some more of the stats, but he's six foot seven and he throws 97. And that in itself is interesting enough to pick in the rule five draft. Like my, my qualifications for taking a guy in the rule five draft, that is it. That I mean, that is intriguing enough. I don't think you're gonna. He's not gonna be a late inning weapon for them this year. Uh, he's got some some flaws that need to be ironed out. I'm not confident he's like a super quality big leaguer. Most guys in the Rule Five don't end up being that. But he's six seven and throws gas. So I think there's definitely some intrigue here. I'm curious what you guys think. 
Yeah, he's a pretty typical Rule 5 guy, you know, like mm-hmm. just a reliever with, you know, nice tools. Um, but I think he's a little different in that he's less of a project. Um, yeah, shout out to Trevor Huth. I, I pulled some notes from, uh, he talked to Nick and, and Alex Fast on on uh, the Pitcherless podcast. He he tweeted about it. He's He cited people on Twitter. Um, but he recently, I think the big thing here is that he recently went uh, from the low to maybe mid nineties to mid to high nineties and in instructs. Um, and I think the notes on him are really just, he has a fastball with, with good arm side run. His secondaries are pretty solid, which like for a reliever, it's kind of weird that he has multiple pitches that can play. Um, he's already been in triple a, so he should be pretty much ready. Um, he throws a hard, hard slider and, and a, a change, which is probably better than his slider I've read. Um, with a lot of tumble in the mid eighties. So um, yeah, I've, I've read that he's got the pieces for a high leverage role and, and you know, the package, the overall package looks really good. Um, I think this is probably going to be, this is probably going to be the most surprising acquisition of the off season thus far, at least. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is just like an opportunity for express or to express my hatred for dudes who throw a hundred, but throw a sinker. So they don't strike anyone out. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can't really say anything particularly about vest in that regard, but you know, when you say arm side run, I'm just trying to make sure I'm vision that right. Is that a four seamer? Is that a two seamer? Um, Yeah. So the difference it's, it's a four seamer. The difference is that um, in the vertical movement, um, a sinker, um we'll get like uh without gravity like three or four less inches um of rise Mm -hmm. yeah 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 i was just trying to remember like my directionality here while i'm sitting here (laughs) i'm in um i'm in central time so it's a little bit later than it is for (laughs) y'all that's my excuse um but yeah you know like i'm very familiar with rule five guys um i live uh in the dc area and i'm an orioles fan so i'm a fan of a team that is (laughs) almost entirely rule five guys yep um so you know i really do think that teams should be taking gambles on guys like this Mm-hmm. I really, really think that teams should be trying to take gambles on rule five relievers in particular, because if you're to stash a guy through the rule five rules, it seems like it's so much less risky for that guy to be a reliever than to be a bench. Anything other than like a pinch runner, I guess. I mean, yeah. it's not like you're really likely to for, to have his like development stall out because you just need to like have him in like roster limbo, which is something that I kind of worry about sometimes. You know, if a guy's getting selected, is he getting the best placement and the best everything if he's just trying to be kept? And I don't think that's going to be a problem here or anything like that. Yeah, I think I, I think about the Tigers and, and Victor Reyes, who was the first pick in the Rule Five draft a few years ago, and he's he's turned himself into a very quality major league player. And yeah. I think Detroit can kind of you know stick their noses at people because that pick was universally hated at the time, <laughs> and he has turned into the best player out of that draft. But his first year, like he had not played above Double A, he played very little in Double A, and his first year, like on the bench for the Tigers, was just awful. Like he he played every like. 10 or 12 days he struck out pretty much every at bat because he hadn't seen a live pitch in like a week it was a mess and i'm glad it worked out and somehow their development system 
got him where he needed to be, but it's a lot easier to do with the reliever and you can watch his bullpens and he can throw occasionally in, in lower leverage situations. And uh, this makes sense. And if he is absolutely terrible, then they stick him in triple a next year. And if he's bad there, then whatever, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I, we haven't really talked about Mariners gas camp yet. Uh, and I was going to bring it up with Flexen, although I think with how long he's already pitched, I, I'm not sure that he's a guy who's all of a sudden going to be throwing like 96 this year. Yeah. Uh, and Vest is already at 97. But, you know, I think for him to maintain that, like like you said, Huth was talking about him being like low to mid 90s and then kind of flash 97. I think hopefully Gas Camp can keep him at 97 or up in that area. And if he can average, you know, 96, 97 for the season, uh, and just throw some strikes, he'll probably at least be okay. And then you can kind of worry about figuring out what you want to do with those secondaries and that slider that he just picked up. Uh, yeah, there's some intrigue here. I'm not holding my breath. I never do with Rule 5 guys, but uh, I'm intrigued. You know, it could be it could be a lot of fun. If nothing else, I think he'll be entertaining to watch on the mound this year, although it'll probably be a lot of walks and home runs, but hopefully some some strikeouts in there too. Yeah, yeah. I think that if there's one thing that, kind of intrigues me about him and other people like him it's the role that like instructs have had in potentially furthering the careers of some guys who would have been kind of just middling about in the minors but mm-hmm. instead because they maybe get access to a little bit better coaching or will have a little bit closer eye you know things just kind of click a little bit more easily for them sure. i imagine that there are going to be some hits and some misses because of like the weird 2020 process but you know i i hope that for guys like him who probably just needed to a little bit better than whatever they were getting in double a, you know, it works out. Mm-hmm. All right. So last couple things before I let you guys go, uh, each of you has done some, re- I mean, phenomenal research lately. Uh, Mikey, your stuff focused on some Mariners stuff. Chase, you did some fantastic research on hard contact rate. Uh, I want to hear like both of Mikey's we'll start with you because we kind of touched a little bit on Justin Dunn. Uh, and you just wrote a great piece about him for Lookout Landing uh, and kind of some of the things that he could potentially do to maybe increase his stock. You kind of acknowledged that you were pretty high on him f- when the Mariners first acquired him from the Mets. You were pretty high on him after his kind of not so great cameo in 2019. Now you're starting to finally sour on him a little bit after what was a not so great 2020. But you offered some optimism. And I'm curious if you could just kind of give us a little recap on your thoughts there and maybe what what your thoughts are now with flexing in the mix and, and some of the other guys that, that might end up taking some starts this year. Yeah. So um, as time has passed, uh, I've been able to add layers to my analysis. And and one of the most recent things I think is in kind of, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but pitch design and um, just that type of thing. And one of the reasons why I liked him, I liked him more than Sheffield uh, and I'm, I'm ready to eat crow as of right now, but um <laughs> I liked him because I thought he had better command and I also liked his fastball a lot better. And I still like his fastball a lot better, but he hasn't been able to throw it for strikes. And so um, last year, like he had an all right ERA somewhere around league average, um, a 4.34, which is fine. But his FIP was uh, 654, which was really bad. Um, and he nearly threw as many, um, he had nearly as many walks as he had strikeouts. Um, and on a per nine basis gave up about two home runs a game. So kind of a horrid year. Um, and by kind of, I mean a horrid year, um, you know, he's in 34th percentile in terms of, um, like fastball strike percentage CSW. Um, and the issues I see with him are just that his, basically his repertoire, I like really don't like it. Um, and I, 
I kind of wonder why the Mariners haven't already gotten in, in there and kind of tweaked some things. Um, I mean, we saw in 2019, he, he got his taste of the major leagues and he looked really nervous. And so that's why I was ready to, you know, kind of see him in 2020, have some games under your belt, whatever. And the, the nerves subsided at least visibly, but he just, he was the same pitcher that he was. Um, and I think it's because his changeup it gets no separation from his fastball. It's essentially, it doesn't get, it doesn't get enough, um, uh, enough fade. It doesn't get enough drop and it doesn't get hardly any, um, uh, velocity separation. So really it doesn't separate from his fastball. And if you look at it, it's basically a sinker in terms of movement, except he throws at 87. So it's a slow sinker, um, which isn't good. Um, I know that I think in his time with the Mets, Trevor Hoffman showed him a um, kind of a palm ball style grip that he threw. So maybe play with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, his curveball and slider are really similar. And we've seen this with guys like Anthony Descofani where, um, you know, like his slider and his curveball are both, both pretty good pitches. But once they started to drift towards one another and become more of the same pitch, they both were less effective. Um, and so I think he should probably take his curveball and give it a little more drop and less, uh, horizontal movement or take a slider and maybe throw it a little bit harder. Uh, he could even mess with starting to throw a cutter. I think there's a, there's a lot of, um, different avenues the Mariners could take or Dunn can take. And I trust them more than I trust myself, but all I know is that he needs to change something because right now he's someone who can't throw a fastball for strikes um doesn't really have any compelling secondaries like his his slider's pretty good but it's not as good as like justice sheffield's is um and so you know there i'm just not convinced that he's anything better than a two-pitch um reliever and even right now i'm just not i i'm not even swayed that he'll be a strong back-end reliever so um i've really really soured on him and i don't want to necessarily say that's just because of his performance it's also I've just grown to understand him more as a pitcher. I would just add on that, Mikey, uh, really, really good analysis. I loved reading the article for starters, but uh, you kind of touched a little bit on him turning that changeup into a splitter. Mm-hmm. I don't like splitters. Uh, I know most people don't really like splitters, um, but that changeup is absolutely terrible. Yeah. Um, so thoughts I, for me, what, what, what confuses me, I guess um, to, shift a little bit on that um you look at a guy like you say kikuchi who underwent massive changes from year one to year two you know we're talking about a guy who was wildly successful overseas came to the united states got crushed did not have a good season his numbers were a little bit misleading he wasn't that bad in his first year but then he changes a ton of things he develops this cutter he's, he does a lot of things differently and he has a lot more success again the box like so the back of the baseball card numbers don't necessarily show that right. but I think we can identify that he pitched a lot better. So you got a guy like Dunn. You have to assume that the Mariners, I mean, obviously they know what they're talking about. They made tangible changes to Kikuchi's pitch mix and uh, the way that, you know, just mixing and everything that that led to success. Right. You assume they're telling him some of the stuff that either you've identified or other things that they think could fix with Dunn. Either he's <clears throat> incapable of doing them which is bad, uh, or he's unwilling to do them, which is also bad. Uh, I'm curious. I mean, obviously we don't know what's going on in Justin's Dunn's, Justin Dunn's head. We don't know what those conversations look like, but I guess if you had to pick like 
which of these things do you think should really be the primary focus for Dunn? And do we think that he's capable of, of making some of these changes? So I think there's a couple things there. Um, I think that his secondaries are decent enough that he doesn't necessarily need like he, if he adds a splitter, it will be more of a Frankie Montas type of thing where he throws mm-hmm. it. I don't know, 10% of the time, 12, 15. Um, and also every time a, a pitcher comes up, it's always, Hey, this guy, like this guy could be a really good starter, but <laughs> it's really going to hinge on whether he has a change up. And that's like the thing for, a lot of starters um and a lot of the time they don't develop them like justice sheffield has gotten better but i think it's pretty inconsistent duns obviously mm-hmm. that was you know what they said about him and it obviously hasn't gotten much better um I, I will say that um pitchers in general are kind of limited in terms of their their pitch movement they're kind of limited to their arm slot um and so sometimes you just can't have a certain type of pitch movement unless you like throw a screwball, right. uh, which will destroy your arm, um, or you throw a splitter. Like some pitchers just can't really get that drop unless they use a pretty unique grip that's hard to command. So I think there's that, and then there's also the alternative um, kind of third, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, theory, hypothesis, I guess, um, that he just he hasn't even tried to change his pitches he's just trying to do the best with what he's got and gain more confidence and i kind of think that's what's going on because i I really trust the mariners as an organization in uh developing pitchers um so yeah i mean there's just so much the issue for me is there's so much work that needs to be done to his repertoire um and even if he added a splitter and got rid of his changeup, like i don't I don't like his curveball and slider enough as is uh, to move forward. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, we're talking about a guy who threw six innings in the major leagues in 2019, and his numbers in the minors were were very good. Yeah. So, you know, the Mariners trying to make massive changes between 2019 and 2020 probably would not have been met very well by Dunn. I don't think he would have been been too thrilled about them trying to do a lot of stuff with him. Uh, so you're right. They probably didn't do that. They probably just said, okay, let's go into 2020. We're going to give you a, a chance to start, and we're going to see what it looks like. But now I think those conversations have to happen. I mean, you – you touched on it at the top of this segment, but he was really bad last year yeah. in, in virtually every way that he could be bad. He was yeah. not good. And uh, 45 innings is not, uh, you know, it's not a huge sample, but it's also not that small. Like it's, it's, it's big enough that I think that, you know, it, if, if he resists having them make suggestions to him now, then they're going to have an issue because he clearly needs to, to do some things, but hopefully, you know, Kikuchi, we know he had a good attitude about it or seemingly he did because he, he was willing to make a lot of changes. And uh, it seemed like the Mariners identified the correct changes with him. So hopefully they can do that here. Uh, I, I have long been on the camp of him being a reliever. This is yeah. a topic that's been in majority of our podcast episodes has been kind of what to do with Justin Dunn. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets another shot, uh, because they're going to do the six-man rotation, uh, because even with Flexen and everybody else, I think he's still got a spot. Yeah. But it could be a situation where if Flexen is looking good, or if Newsom does well, and you know they want to give Logan Gilbert a shot, maybe maybe he is a guy who ends up in the bullpen if 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 he make if he either makes these changes and it still doesn't work, or if he doesn't make these changes. But hopefully, he can find a spot. And I do want to add a couple things. Um, 
<laughs> the we're doing the Nick Paul thing where I think we're going to go long on this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know. um, <laughs> I think one thing that we haven't talked about is that, and, and I, I think I am being a little bit harsh on him, um, but he was a reliever until his junior or senior year of college. Yeah, that's true. And then after that, he went to the Mets and then he changed organization. So not only is he pretty new to starting, but um, he's also had a, a decent amount of turnover. Um, and he also had to deal with the Mets who like, I really, I really like the Mets and, and Pirates organizations now in terms of who they have in their front office and who their pitching coaches are, their philosophies. But back then it was not very good. Um, so I think he should, he does deserve a little bit of, of leeway there. And then John Troopin of lookout landing has talked about how his mechanics were just a mess last year. Um, and that could have to do with, both mm-hmm. those things where you know he's a pretty new starter relative to other people um he also has bounced around um maybe it's worth considering you know just going to the stretch like marco gonzalez did for a while marco's now you know back to a full windup but in terms of just cleaning that up uh maybe that, that's something to consider so i don't think all hope is lost it's just it's not looking great right now Pivoting over to the last question before I let you guys go, uh, Alex, you did a ton of research on hard contact rate as it pertains to pitchers. Uh, you gave a good explanation of it uh, on the your on the corner episode with Nick Pollock talking about your mock draft that we addressed earlier. Uh, but I was just hoping you could a give us kind of an overview on that research in general, uh, and then talk a little bit about how it pertains to the Mariners and their starting rotation and and what that could look like going forward. Sure, I'm actually going to start off with. Um, something that Mikey said about the pirates. Um, (laughs) There was uh, a conversation that uh, Nick Pollock had with, I think it was Jameson Tyone about Mm -hmm. pirates old uh, pitching strategies. uh, Probably about a year ago now. It was a long time ago uh, where he was talking about how the pirates basically wanted them to like throw one or two pitches. And then it didn't look like they were going to like get a strikeout. Basically just pitch to contact and move on to the next guy. Um, Yikes. Big yikes. <laughs> really, really, really bad stuff now that like we, we think about things a little bit differently. But mm-hmm. it did kind of like get some thoughts going for me. There are a lot of pitchers out there who have succeeded being like the Johnny Cueto type or like Dallas Keuchel type who hand pitch to contact efficiently. Mm-hmm. And the thing about that is that it really does reveal that there are more than one ways to win in a bat for a mm-hmm. lot of pitchers. Now, a strikeout to win, but a weak ground ball to like an infielder, that's a win as well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the numbers that we'll cite regularly that you guys will see on Fangrass or Statcast, um, kind of don't know what to do with those guys. Um, if you're dealing with uh, like FIP, that takes their um, home run rate and basically kind of just tries to protect them forward along with strikeouts and walks. But if you're not striking anyone out, they don't like you. Uh, so you basically have to be really good at suppressing home runs, which are really wacky and impossible to predict, mm-hmm. or like your numbers are going to be really hard to deal with. Um, the thing in particular that my research dealt with was StatCast's understanding of hard hit rate. Uh, StatCast invented this number, hard hit rate, which basically is the percentage of time that the balls you allow in play are hit 95 miles an hour or greater. And I really got bothered by this the more I started dealing with it and seeing what it meant for pitchers. Because basically, the bad outcomes are those hard hit rates or hard contact, right? No matter what your approach is, whether you're Dallas Keuchel or Tyler Glass now, a hard hit ball in play is bad. 
but you can't fairly compare those guys because if you're only looking at contact, then you exclude Tyler Glasnow's pitcher wins, mm -hmm. the strikeouts. Mm -hmm. So I basically just restructured the denominator of that ratio, not to get too math here, but basically I said, all right, let's treat hard hit balls in play, these 95 mile an hour hit balls, like doubles or like home runs or anything else and say, how often do you allow that to a batter? And basically the results are way better <laughs> than hard. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's a fairer comparison. It's a little bit more predictive. And when you put that into, like I put it into an ERA estimate, I call it Hera. It's on my tableau if you want to look at it. Um, I, you can find that in my Twitter account. Um, but the benefit of it is that as I built it, you can predict a, a pitcher's future ERA better. And, and the reason for that's pretty simple. Um, because um, you face more batters and hard contact happens more often, a pitcher's hard contact, like hard hit per nine or hard hit per batter face rates will stabilize a whole lot faster than home runs will. And because they're pretty explanatory, you kind of get the best of both worlds. Um, mm -hmm. FIP, which uses home runs, is really descriptive because it'll really closely match to ERA because home runs are really bad for your ERA. <laughs> um, XFIP swaps out home runs for fly ball rate and makes some assumptions. It's more predictive, but it doesn't really track all that well because fly balls don't go over the fence sometimes. Mm -hmm. So like Hera and basically this whole field of research basically just tries to find a stat that kind of explains a bunch while being sticky. And it's really difficult to do. But my goal with this research is not just to be able to predict guys ERAs better. It's also just to more fairly compare baseball players and to, you know, help people who want to know what we're talking about be able to make these fair comparisons on their own and pose good questions and you know keep us from saying stupid stuff on air <laughs> so um i thought actually like the reason i'm on this show is because i wanted to bug mikey about talking somewhere but i really really thought that the mariners were a great example of how yeah. the different data sources we have are spewing out really disparate things the uh, mariners had three pitchers last year who had a fip below three three five that's really good mm -hmm. that's really really good so uh let's let me get these exact numbers because again we're live and i feel responsible to do that <laughs> but yeah justice jeffield you get a 317 fit uh yusei kakuji a 330 whip mark and gonzalez 332 fit they did not allow a whole lot of home runs they struck out enough people they didn't walk a ton of people it all worked out um <laughs> the thing is I'm not exactly sure that that's going to repeat itself. FIP is not very, you know, like likely to repeat. It has a very low correlation with next year ERA. So you don't want to grab that if you want to predict how well someone's going to do next year. And the thing is, Sheffield, Kikuchi, and Gonzalez all have ex-FIP numbers that are closer to four. Kikuchi is mm -hmm. actually it's the only one below four. So one of the things I wanted to kind of take a look at is like, what do these guys actually do well? And kind of just talk about that a little bit more. So, like my ERS estimator gives um, among the among the trio there, Gonzalez the best future look. You know, his sub three percent walk rate is ridiculous and yeah. really impressive. Um, <laughs> pair that with a twenty three percent strikeout rate, and you're at a good place. But he was allowing um, a hard hit ball in play in twenty five percent of his uh, PAs last year. That's pretty good. Um, basically, the numbers that are pretty good is you want to have like less than one per inning or about less than one every four batters. Those actually come out to be a pretty good ratio to each other. So you hope four batters, nothing in a good world. Uh, so um, the other guys who 
in that trio didn't shake out as well quite by that same um, metric. I think actually Kikuchi was about in that same spot with him. It's just the walk rate they didn't like a whole lot. And I think that's the same problem that other um, evaluators will have. But Sheffield actually had a bit of a hard contact problem. He was allowing 12 hard hit balls in play per nine. Uh, it's like 32% of his batters faced. That's not so good. If you look back to his 2019, I'll pull that off my tableau real quick. So he's got two years now of like 12 uh, hard hit balls per nine. That's a hard contact problem that we could actually say is probably worth paying attention to. Yeah. Mikey, I, I definitely welcome you to butt in here because you've definitely argued with me about tons of stuff. And I think that you're probably got something to point out here that's worth listening to. Uh, in terms of Sheffield? Yeah. Um, well, I think the first thing that um, if you want to think about hard hit percentage, um, I think there are two things that can two ways that you can sustainably limit hard contact. Mm -hmm. Well, there are kind of three ways. One is if you throw really fucking hard. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was looking into something pretty recently, and um, I think I was just looking at hard hit percentage, which, you know, obviously you've just pointed out its flaws, but, um, and maybe it won't show up in, in hard hit uh, per nine. And this is also at the pitch level. But since like, I think 2015, like DeGrom, Syndergaard, and a couple other pitchers have really done a good job of, of limiting hard hit balls. Um, so throwing really hard, that's the hardest thing to do. Um, but also having a deep repertoire and having good command. And that's something that, uh, Marco Gonzalez does really well yeah. and Justice Sheffield doesn't do really well. So mm -hmm. I think it definitely makes sense that Marco, um, you know, obviously has a really elite, um, walk percentage, but also, um, that he grades out well by this metric and, um, Justin Sheffield had a really weird 2020 where he started throwing everything in the zone a bunch, which is weird because he had one of the most elite sliders in uh, 2019. Um, so I'm not really sure why that is. And I don't think he should lean into this sort of approach, but I, I definitely agree with your sent or um, your assessments overall. Yeah. I, I think the nice thing about this sort of research is it's trying to ground itself in like how we look at the game. And like trying to find stats that like you can explain to someone who like pretends that they hate analytics or whatever that bullshit is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like you think about like the the hard throwing um, two seamer guys that I hate, you know, like half of the Dodgers bullpen, unfortunately, it works mm -hmm. because they're throwing like 101 and like they're not getting whiffs like Dustin Mays like whatever sideways moving nonsense Don't actually get me started. isn't a good pitch. No. Like, but there are a lot of guys who do really similar stuff to him where it moves sideways at 101 miles an hour. You, you think um, Jordan Hicks with the Cardinals, if he ever gets back healthy, like people can't hit it hard because yeah, they, it it's built to make contact with the bat in the way, in a way the batter doesn't want them to like jams him inside in their hands. Mm -hmm. And you can explain to yourself how like, that's bad. Now you tell yourself, okay, well, I'm just going to like change my, like where I'm stepping as I shift my weight a little bit and kind of like try to pull the ball a little bit more. And the barrel of your bat is going to be more likely to hit the ball in a really bad place. So there's some people who throw these terrible, um, terrible sinkers that I really hate. Mm -hmm. um, so like you can explain how that works, but yes, feel looks very good mm -hmm. now, but it, like the general sentiment though is like, if you want to get people to not hit the ball hard, a lot of the guys who do it really well, they're striking people out. They're throwing things below the zone that people can't pick up. I think of guys like Kenta Maeda. I love mm. Kenta Maeda. He had like the lowest hard hit per nine, hard hit per batter face last year. Really, really low whip, really, really low ERA. 
he's not doing it by blowing guys away on velo he's keeping people guessing on where the pitch is mm-hmm. and like people were not hitting it hard because they were missing the ball a lot of the time but like that's good mm-hmm. <laughs> that and, and i think that's what the discussion needs to be like striking people out is a good thing we need to make sure our stats emphasize that in the long run but not just by building it in a fake way um here without doing anything other than taking in how much people smack the shit out of the ball mm-hmm. and how many people they faced you can get a stat that's pretty good and that's a whole lot better than trying to rely on something like xwoba or xwobacon that requires a lot of calculations and is reliant on either the data being bad or like basically those stats tend to take a long time to become yeah they're, they're really noisy yeah, yeah. um so the, you know like sometimes simpler is better and it, it seems like i kind of like fell backward into this thing that seems like it's really good i'm going to see where we can run with it um but if we're looking at the mariners rotation in general it looks like there are a lot of guys there whose success is floating somewhere between uh, a little bit fake i like what marco gonzalez is doing and it took me a little while to accept it because i used to hate guys that didn't like strike out at least 25 percent of batters or so and it seems mm-hmm. like he's really got like a, a sustainably built idea of what his game plan is and for some of those guys like justice sheffield like you're talking about or like i think justin dunn's an even better version of that what's the game plan how is he trying to get to that mm-hmm. good like pitcher outcome it seems like he's throwing a bunch of pitches it doesn't seem like he's throwing with the game plan necessarily and you would hope that like with this better like more fair and comparable stat we could go and see is this guy's game plan working and great at least fairly in that um i do really hope um that when we get some more data next year uh come may june or so we can kind of look back at some of these guys and like um you know make some make some better comparisons there too but, yeah i was gonna say you kind of touched on it a little bit but i was just hoping you could explain uh how you how you deal with home runs in that data set because you talked about uh obviously strikeouts and trying to use them more because of the glass now Keiko comparison that you used, but home runs are, are much more difficult to predict. And obviously they're really hard hit, but they're not balls in play. So oh no, they're balls in play. Uh, oh, they're, 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 they're events. They're bad. They're bad at ball events. Counting them as bad at ball events. Okay. Yeah. No. So cool. basically this stat is blind to outcomes in every way. Good. Good. Okay. Yeah. That's so what like, I wanted to Yeah. Makes sense. It, according to this, a ball hits 75 miles an hour and a strikeout uh, and a walk are all mm. exactly the same. They're all okay. not a ball hit 95 mile an hour. 95 miles an hour and that's why you build it into a formula that also has strikeouts and walks in there um you end up double counting strikeouts a little bit but Mm -hmm. that's a good thing because a strikeout is better than a ground ball a ground ball is a hit like like an 80 mile an hour ground ball is a hit like 15 to 20 percent of the time a strikeout is a hit zero percent of the time zero yeah Uh, so like the double counting ends up being good in like the era estimator level but Mm -hmm. like you know fundamentally like it's not like we're doing any weird things we're not artificially changing the exit velocity we're just like right is it 95 nope move on guys thank you so much for taking time out of your monday evenings to come onto the show i sincerely appreciate it this has been a lot of fun a lot of good conversation about the mariners and just about baseball in general which i miss i miss getting to talk about baseball we did not have enough time to do it during the 2020 season so thanks again guys i really appreciate it of course you 